Hello, everybody. On this episode, I sit down with Dale Lindsay, former longtime NFL player and coach and current USD head coach as they break camp for a new season. And then it's at his office. Yep, my first mobile recording. Coach Lindsay had a locker right next to Jim Brown. He played against Ray Nitschke, Gale Sayers, Dick Buckus, and more. He was a defensive coordinator in San Diego and coached Junior Seau. He compares him to Brian Erlacher and Ray Lewis. He left the infamous Thin 30 at Kentucky. Look it up, kids. And went on to be drafted and have a great career. He talks about players and pensions then and now. His dinner at the same table with Joe DiMaggio, the origins of rock and roll, and how his wife makes him listen to the opera while well, he prefers the opera. So sit down, strap in, turn on and turn up this episode of Tony on the Mic. Our story begins as these stories often do. How many times have you been fired? Uh, how many toes and fingers you have? <laughs> That's the stupidest question I've ever heard. I mean, I'm sure that all of you have the most amazing stories. You guys got in high school and yeah, college? Yeah, I was, I was easy, Mark. <laughs> if there's an uglier white man on earth than Keith Richards, somebody tell me who it is. The, the ball draws an angry crowd. If you have the ball, there's gonna be an angry crowd show up. <laughs> One day I, I tackled Jim Taylor and kept him from scoring and he cussed me out unbelievable <laughs> for tackling him. I had to apologize for tackling him. I have to say that's the most amazing story I ever heard. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time you listen to this fine podcast product. My name is Tony Lawrence and I'm Tony on the mic today. We have long time coach and player Dale Lindsay from USD. Say hello to the folks, coach. Good afternoon, good morning, good night, whatever it is. <laughs> whatever time it is. Perfect. I want to start with your, your career, your summary, and just kind of catch everybody up. I, I had no idea the depth of all the things that you had done. Um, I knew that you'd been a player and a coach in the league, but you've been pretty much nonstop for 30 years, 40 years as a coach. Well, the NFL was quite good to me. They let me play in it nine years before I couldn't play anymore, and they told me to leave. Then I got to coach in it for 20 years, and in both cases uh, was rewarded financially and with uh, nice benefits when they throw you out. <laughs> that, that's pretty much all you can ask for. Any uh, any lingering things? Uh, not other than injuries, no. Okay. <laughs> well, good. Uh, let's see. Played uh, in Cleveland with Jim Brown. I heard he retired after you came on the board because he, he was afraid of you being on the opposite side of the ball of practice. Well, I had a locker right beside him. Did you really? Yeah. And I was surrounded by two well-known people. Dick Mojoleski was on my right. Jim Brown was on my left. Neither one knew who the hell I was. <laughs> I, I made absolutely zero contributions to them. Uh, Mo did a lot for the defense. And, of course, uh, I always I've refrained myself from saying playing with Jim Brown. I like to say... I got to watch Jim Brown play. You got, <laughs> you got now and, did you practice against him at all? I mean, were, well, yeah, and, and he stayed far away. <laughs> I accidentally tripped him one day, and I think there was thirty-nine people that wanted to kill me at that point because <laughs> it was late in the season, and and he he may have really gotten hurt somewhere. I think he had a bad wrist or something that day, but uh, you could heard a pin drop, and there was a lot of uh, faces looking at me like. What the hell are you doing, boy? So <laughs> I, I, I got got out of the way and never did that again. Um, did you ever go just straight head-to-head in the open field tackling? Uh, we didn't tackle each other. 
Yeah. Oh, you didn't? No. Uh, I think the whole time I was at Cleveland, there might be a – the first Saturday, there'd be a 15-minute scrimmage, which I got three plays in. Okay. <laughs> the second Saturday was a 30-minute scrimmage, which I got six plays in. And I don't think Jim Brown was ever on the field in the scrimmages. I, uh-huh. Uh they were going to save him for the real stuff, yeah. and rightfully so. Yeah, he was phenomenal. As far as as far as I'm concerned, if you have a list of players, it starts with Walter Payton, and then goes to Jim Brown, and then everybody else. Well, I got to see <laughs> Walter Payton. He's not Jim Brown. <laughs> He's my favorite player, but Jim Brown, objectively, I think is probably the best football player, period, to ever play. The game. I would say he's the best running back. He's better as a player. People don't really realize the things he could do. Um, probably one of the best sights I ever saw the whole time I was there. We went to play the Giants my rookie year as we checked into the Waldorf Astoria. Uh, Muhammad Ali greeted Jim Brown at the uh-huh. desk, and I thought that would be one great fight if you could see it. Because yeah, yeah. If there was a guy who possibly could have fought Ali pretty good, yeah. it could have been Jim. Yeah, that's – that's phenomenal. I mean, I'm I'm gonna gush a little bit. I, I usually try not to, but Jim Brown and Muhammad Ali. Yeah, and they were good friends, and, and it's like they were doing a handshake, but it's like two awesome looking men. Yes. Saying hello, and I've managed to watch it and get the hell out of the way. <laughs> you didn't jump in. You didn't no, make, you I wasn't. Didn't I wasn't no, invited. Jim, how you doing? No, no, I wasn't invited, <laughs> didn't but crash rightfully so. I was too all-time greats, and yeah. then, then there was me. <laughs> then, uh, let's see, you played a year in the, year for the Saints. Was Did you notice a difference in anything, culture, team-wise, uh, experience? What was the difference in the well, two organizations? Well, the, there was uh, – the difference in the two places was the, the organizational skills and how Cleveland had been set up as opposed to how New Orleans had set up. And I was only there for three weeks. Oh. And – Went straight back to Cleveland, finished a year there, and uh, then I knew that I could no longer play. That was it. And that's a that's a very tough realization to finally come to realize you just can't do it anymore. Yeah, now, did they the, tell you, or did you tell? Did you? No, it out? I, at the end of the last game, I went straight. I, the head coach wasn't in the office. I went straight down and told his secretary, "Tell him I'm done. I can't play anymore." I finally realized that. My mind is good, but my body was awful, oh. and it, it's it's really something hard to deal with. But um, I can. Remember. What was your playing weight? What did you play? I played about two twenty five, and, and you played linebacker. Yeah, and I wasn't uh, real big compared to uh, linebackers back in the day. I mean, the the three guys at Green Bay were mammoth guys compared to the people Nis- I played Nisky, with. Nisky. No, the people do not realize how big Ray Nisky was. I mean, I had some players here a few years ago ask me about Dick, Dick Butkus, yeah. and they said, oh, well, is he about 6'1", 225? No, he's about six foot three and a half, and weighed about 260, and had a bone structure that was unbelievable. So did Ray. These guys were huge guys. They had, people have no idea. Uh, and I, my children grew up in the game. I took them one year, got them down the field for the warm-ups. We were going to play the – Titans in Nashville. At the end of the game, my kids came around, and they'd grown up around NFL players. And they said, "Dad, we had no idea how fast the big guys were." Yeah. So, yeah. can imagine the little guys like myself better get the hell out of the way. Right. So, are you a fan of players and teams? Like, is there a team you cheer for? Is there a? 
No, I don't root for anybody, but I watch the games and uh, I enjoy them. I, I think it's become a little theatrical to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there, we didn't play by the Marcus of Queensbury rules back in the day. <laughs> and there were no prayer circles or handshaking. Uh, there was a lot of grimacing and a lot of uh, guys giving you an evil eye. You better stay out of their way because it was, uh, I mean, I can't imagine who was dumb enough to smart off to Mike Ditka. Yeah. You know, it, you, you couldn't be very smart to do that <laughs> because even if he liked you, he was going to he was gonna try to kill you. It, when I watch some of those old tapes, it's it's crazy. The, the mm-hmm. disregard for the human body <laughs> that yeah, they true. had their own and true. the opponent. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, and then my heyday was probably late 70s, 80s where I was – becoming familiar with the game and then I thought that was tough and I, I guess it's become more civilized each decade you know that they and when I say civilized I'm doing air quotes because they they add different protections and different civilities like you mentioned and do you think the game's better or I, I think the the players are uh, skilled better I think they have better nutrition uh I've told everybody, I started football, I was 12 years old in 1955. I got my first drink of water in 1971 at the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> so now they, they actually hydrate players. And I think overall the players are good. But I don't think that the players that played back when I played, they would still play. Of course they would. Because there, there's a certain amount of talent. Yeah. And it would have been brought out. And uh, and I think the players back then, like the like Anthony, my son, for example, he's we started working with him. Well, me because I was his only coach we could afford. But at nine years old, you know, mm-hmm. we're working on footwork and dropbacks and stuff like that, which the athletes back then weren't doing that. And he had specialized coaching in high mm-hmm. school and everything. So if you take the well, Jim Brown would have done anything anytime. But some of the other players from back in the day, they mm-hmm. would have had the same coaching, they would have had the same nutrition, they would sure. have had all the same stuff. And so, they still been it'd be in the league playing right. the same way. Right. Um, I just think that that. Uh, the modern day athlete has so many more, so many more advantages Absolutely. offered to him with, like you mentioned, specialization of coaches. When I was in high school, we had two: the head coach and he had one assistant. Nowadays, uh, I know at my own high school, which has won considerable state championships back in Kentucky, uh-huh. have a number of coaches. So. Uh, let's go back to Kentucky for a minute. You you, you went to Kentucky, or, or did you ever attend Kentucky? Because on your bio it said Kentucky, but then it said you played four years at Western Kentucky. So No, that's wrong. I, okay. I was at Kentucky my freshman year, Okay. transferred to Western Kentucky. I was there three years Okay. and got out. Okay, and then um, you're drafted. I was drafted by the Jets and by the Browns. And How did that work? Well, they were, there were two different leagues back then. There oh, was the yes, American yes. Football League and the National Football League. And Chuck Knox, who was the defense, uh, the offensive line coach at Kentucky, was at the Jets. I guess that's how I wound up there. And I took a visit, didn't like the surroundings. And Blanton Collier, who was the head coach at Kentucky when I went there, was at that time head coach of the Browns. So I decided that I, I trusted Blanton. And I felt like I'd get a fair shake. That's all you can ask for. And they gave me a little bit of money, gave me a fair shake. Things turned out pretty good. I'd say so. Uh, why'd you leave Kentucky? Well, there was a coaching change uh, in the middle of my freshman year. And 
I've decided that I'm going to decide how you treat me. And there's considerable abuse handed out at that time. Is that Bradshaw? Mm-hmm. We started out with, I think, 110 players, and he wound up with 30 the next year. And that, it that, just it just was, uh, I think the thing I learned was how not to treat players. Yeah. And uh, we're not, we'll, we'll not ever do what was done there. And I've had a number of those coaches apologize over the years. Really? It just was something I did not feel like I wanted to do anymore. Yeah. And I love the University of Kentucky. I chose it all, all over all other schools. And I was always told by the coaches at Western Kentucky, if you go someplace, you don't like it, come back here. I did, and we had uh, some very good teams. I enjoyed playing with there. Nice. With, with uh, Bradshaw, it, now you said you had coaches apologize. How many coaches were on the staff back there? Did people reach out to you? or just There were 10 you... 11. I saw yeah. them over through the years. Okay. Most of those guys, there were on – on Black and Collier's staff, there was Harris Nellenberger, John North, and Lehman Bennett. All were NFL head coaches. Yeah. Uh, the only guy who didn't coach was Norm Deeb, a freshman coach, because he had adopted a child and he couldn't leave. Everybody else was either a coach or a scout in the NFL for a number of years. And uh, they, their approach was entirely different. Have you ever apologized to a player? Uh, no, I've never done anything to a player to. to uh, I felt like I learned what not to do, and and didn't do it. And I haven't done it. <laughs> and, and should I, uh, may have hurt somebody's feelings. Yeah. But, oh, you did. But physically, maybe never done anything. Yeah. Now you hurt some feelings, just in case you were wondering. Well, I can I can vouch for that. Okay. You hurt my feelings, coach. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Well, some people deserve it. Yeah, hey, I was I wasn't Lavar Ball coming in here. I was just sitting down minding my own business. Um, you had some. I just just compare just nutshells. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but you you coached in the with the Portland Breakers, was that right? And in, in the was that the USFL? That and was the, the World Football League. World Football League. And the Chicago Fire was in the World Football League. And Vince Evans was their quarterback. I remember I was going to be a big. World I think he was. Yeah, I believe yeah. you're right. Yeah. We played the Chicago Fire I, in Chicago. I I don't know if Anthony's. I love Chicago. I grew up in Chicago. That's kind of. I coached there with the Bears. Yeah. I think it is undoubtedly the best city in the United States. Nice. I've nice. lived in New York. Yeah. Uh, no, thank you. <laughs> and but Chicago, it, my wife and I used to debate if we weren't living here, where would we live? We would put up with the cold yeah. and the winter. To be in Chicago because of what it offers you. I agree with that. Then in uh, compare like the okay the World Football League and then Canada mm-hmm. and then the USFL with the Generals. Now mm-hmm. um, I'm interested in what you think the World Football League and the USFL did differently, better, worse. Or you, do you have any memories that stand out from any of that? And don't make any. If you have nothing interesting, we can just get to the. Well, next I thing. think the the World Football League was totally underfunded. Was that not by the NFL? And Portland was not. Portland didn't really have. Uh, it had a baseball stadium. It didn't really set up well for football. Mm-hmm. Um, the USFL, I think, was better funded, is better organized, and much better talent. And uh, it, it it's just one of those things that I think it football to the general public or maybe to the rich people looks really good. But there's, there's a whole lot of money has to go into it yeah. to get it rolling. 
and some and we averaged fifty thousand people at, at New Jersey. It still weren't turning a profit. Really? Well, no, because most oh, no, of it went to Herschel Walker. Yeah. And so, I, th I think, had Donald Trump not decided to sue the NFL, if if just stayed on the path that we were on, within a year or so, there would be a bunch of teams merge into NFL. So, kind of ABA NBA style. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Okay, uh, compare coaching pros, and I know you had a stint in high school, and a stint yeah. in college. Now, what, yeah. is it you have a different approach, or do you think pretty much attract anything the same? Well, way? my own belief is all of us who want to be coaches should have to start at the lowest level because you find out you you have a guy who is a freshman; he really can't get into a three point stance. It is the game at its beginnings, and uh, I felt probably it's one of the best things I did. Go back to high that school. really jarred me to say it not, it's not it's not for everybody. Everybody just can't assume assume and pick it up and play it naturally, and you got to teach them. And I really enjoyed. I was there for three years. I enjoyed it. Uh, we would play thirty three games a year. Well, there was me and three coaches. We coached the freshman on Monday okay, nights. I was say 33. We, we coached the junior varsity on Thursday nights, and we coached the varsity on Friday nights. Wow. And we didn't care where you were. We'd play anywhere, anytime. And a lot of times our freshmen, we'd go 75, 80 miles to go play a game. Wow. So, yeah. It was a great experience. And in terms of, do you feel like you still teach? Well, I think coaching is teaching. Okay. And, and when you were in the NFL, did you feel the same way? I mean, you, there are, how did they listen? How did they, or let me rephrase that. How did your players learn differently from like high school to college to pros? Did well, first of all, they are very talented. Right. And they've already had a great deal more experience than you have it with anybody in high school. Okay. But again, you, they have to be taught how you want to do things on the field and in the classroom. So I think the best thing you can do every year is they're used to theory that we had in Cleveland. They assumed every year we knew nothing about football. Blanton Collier's best statement to us was, when you know everything there is to know about football, do us a favor and quit. <laughs> <laughs> and he's absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, you know, look, I've been doing this since I was 12 years old. I'm still learning things. And when I cease to learn, I'm going to quit. Hmm. All right, I'm going to take my first commercial break here. We're going to thank one of our sponsors, Retro Sports in La Mesa on Fletcher Parkway. Jacob Ober does screen printing. He does silk screening and teams, embroidery, personal stuff, anything you need. Check out Retro Sports at retrosports.net in La Mesa. Hey, sports fans, what do Billy Eilish, Travis Scott, and me have in common? Jacob Ober in Retro Sports has done our gear. That's right, he's done gear for bands, teams, sports, schools. You have a need, he can fill it, I promise. They do embroidery, screen printing, tackle twill, heat press, and if you have an organization, they will build you a spirit website. You can do it for your school or your team, whatever you have going on. He posts it all, they order it, he makes it, and you get money. You share in the profits. It's free, check it out. They'll do your letterman's jacket, fitness equipment, whatever you need. And when you go in there, make sure you tell them that Tony on the mic sent you in. To Jacob Ober, great in the community. Outstanding product and service. Check out Retro Sports. Retrosports.net. 
and 9100 Fletcher Parkway in La Mesa. We're back with Coach Lindsey. Appreciate <laughs> you letting me come into your office, hang out, and talk some football. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about USD right now. Um, the team. One of the questions I had uh, as a as a as a former parent, and for the listeners, I'm sure they all know my son went here and played here. Uh, I, I when my kid got to high school, I stopped talking to coaches, and I mean not like protesting and just it's not my business. It's his mm-hmm. job. He needs right, to find his right. way, and. I was sitting in the stands, I want to say the Northern Iowa game, maybe, one of the playoff games that USD won, and one of the parents was upset sitting with us saying that her kid wasn't getting enough playing time and that she was going to go talk to the coach. And I and I thought, I didn't say anything because it wasn't my place to say, but I thought, if you really want to ensure your kid not playing, that's probably the best way to do it. Do you ever get the interaction with parents? Do parents come to you and, and complain or suggest or offer input? I have been very fortunate that we haven't had that. But we have a uh, meeting every year, which we'll have in a couple of days, with the parents. And I've tried to tell them when we recruit them that there is no outside influence, including the athletic director, the president of the school, or money, that will allow their son to be on the field if he's not the best player. We only play the best player. You can't buy your way on. You can't threaten your way on. You can't sue your way on. And there's no retaliation for anybody who wanted to do that, but we've been fortunate with parents like yourself who have let us make the decision. And believe me, we're in the business of winning. Clearly. We're not going to play somebody that can't play over somebody who can because we like the parent or they don't like us. Right. And it's our rule is best man plays. And we have a lot of freshmen sometimes that come here that talk about redshirting. Well, if you're the best player, you just want to practice? Yeah. We're looking for the guy who wants to play. Anthony hated redshirting, by the way. Well, he <laughs> wasn't my choice. Yeah. He said, you know, he by, by well, the, the genesis of his experience here was he called me the first night after the first workout. And he said, oh, my God, everybody here is big. Everybody here is fast. Everybody mm-hmm. here is good. Mm-hmm. And, you know, coming from high school where you're the, you know, best player then you move up and suddenly there's a lot of best players there's best players from everywhere and then about a week later he says i don't know if i can play here i don't know if i belong here then about a week later so two weeks in he says i should be starting right now <laughs> well i mean it, it, it's everybody we recruit is the best player at their high school right and it's the same way we tell them that they're one of the best students at their high school well across campus the best students at the high school go to school here. Yeah. So these boys are competing from the time they get up and go to classroom to the time they go to bed at nighttime. And if you're not a person who enjoys competition, this is not a place to be. Yeah. How'd you end up at USD? How did, how did the train, I mean, you, well, I had transferred here with work and I can't, I'm not, I'm never leaving. I don't know. <laughs> I was sitting on my rear end being paid by an NFL team to do nothing. And there was a man here I had coached with. I called him up and I said, can I be your limo driver? Really? And he lived right up beside me. And he said, no, I'm going. He said, I'm leaving. I'm moving back east. I'm going to tell Ron about you. Ron Carragher was the coach. Right. At he said, I'm going to tell Ron about you. And you come down and talk to Ron. And I didn't even know how to get to school here. <laughs> I never heard of the University of San Diego. Neither did we. I had coached here twice for the Chargers. Knew nothing about it. My wife told me how to get here. 
I came down and told Ron that, that I was looking for something to do. And he said, well, that's good because I'm not going to pay you anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and so I came and worked for Ron and just had a wonderful time. I think he's a fabulous head coach. Yeah. And just enjoyed the school and, and actually learned my way down here. <laughs> you found out how to get here. Yeah, I found out how to get here. So, so that was that was the first time that I had heard of USD is when he came out. And you're way ahead of me. <laughs> well, it turned it obviously I I am thrilled with the way the whole process turned played out here. I mean, I think Anthony had a great career, he got a great degree, he's got a great opportunity in the future, and it's it's insane. So camp starts this Thursday. Right. Uh, how's the team look? Well, I told somebody the other day the the good news this year is we have a lot of returning players. The bad news is we have a lot of returning players. <laughs> Last year is the first year we didn't win the conference in eight years or nine. Something, yeah. We lost two games, which is totally unheard of. Yeah. And we underachieved, or let me put it this way, I underachieved with them, and we need to get the thing back on track. And uh, we have always felt like, I've always felt like, ever since I worked for Walt Michaels, that Walt had a theory there were 10 spots that you had to re- you had to be good at. And his first thing was assuming you had a quarterback and a running back, needed two tackles, two wide receivers. Okay. Needed two ends and two corners. He said you could find the rest of the, the positions. How do those 10 And look? we have always had those 10 positions. We didn't have them last year. Hmm. And I don't think we had the other complementary positions and I don't think that we had we had not gotten lazy and stopped recruiting. We just didn't have people who were as good as the people before. And uh, like Anthony, I mean, when Anthony came here, there were four quarterbacks we recruited his freshman year. Each one of those guys were taller, faster, had a stronger arm. But the key is, do you know how to play? Yeah. And will you compete? The one thing that... I don't think people really realize about quarterbacks because everybody thinks that's a soft position. But the one thing I always saw, Anthony, I'm not just telling you this. I'm telling everybody this. You're telling dozens When, when we did this, when we did any drill, all-season drill, whatever, he competed to win. It could have been monkey rolls. It could have been, <laughs> it could have been running around cones. He competed to win. Well, you can't. When you're evaluating, you can see height, weight, and speed. Right. But you can't evaluate competitiveness, the heart, the people who want to win. None of those things are measurable. And you don't know sometimes till you get them. And I will say this. Anthony knew how to play, and he would compete. And we have got to be able to do that this year. So Mason, I see this slated to be the starter. He was a starter last year. Mason is the starter right now. I mean, okay. we, we do everything – one way is <laughs> if you leave in the spring and you're number one, you will be number one the first day of fall camp in the morning. We don't promise that <laughs> afternoon. By the end of practice, you no, might not I be. mean it, it's That's a fair. it's a revolving door. Yeah. And if we're going to talk about the best man playing, when the best man shows up, if he's happened to be second or third team, you have to put him up the first team. Don't say something you can't back up. Nice. And uh, how often do you think? Uh, not first day changes, but. Do you juggle the depth chart a lot? Does it move up and down? Is yeah, it as people move. I mean, 
we, we talk about personnel all the time. Personnel is the number one thing. And we're always searching, like we said a minute ago, get the best player on the field. And uh, somebody might have a good run two or three days and then bottom out. Somebody else might have picked up where he left off. So who's, who, who can help us win right now? I mean, it, everything, my wife is always arguing with me, everything isn't about winning. Yes, it is about winning. And when I look, look at the Olympics right now, we are not winning like we have in the past. Yeah. But I think the rest of the world has gotten very competitive yeah. with us. Yeah, it's funny because I'm on a scale with that. And I would say, at, certainly at this level in pros, it's 100% about winning. Mm-hmm. And I think in the lower levels, high school is kind of a tweener. But like youth sports, I think it's more important to teach the kids be on time, work hard, give it 100%, study, put in some time in the you know the work habits. Because honestly, no matter how good these youth coaches think they are, including myself, if you get the best team, you're going to win. If you get the fastest kid, you're going to win the game. <laughs> you're the best players. Right. Yeah. yeah. But so. I, I agree with you. I think we emphasize the things that you're talking about here. Be on time, know what to do, play like hell on Saturday. But we also emphasize go to class and get a degree. Yeah. Because I think we can help change the world or let's say the United States by getting more educated people out that can understand and comprehend what it what it is they're faced with every day. Yeah, no, that's no, and I got to say, and not just kissing up because I'm sitting in your office, but it was a great program, and we we know a lot of the kids who you know came in and overlapped with Anthony and the other guys, and and they all have great jobs. They all have yeah. great, you know, <laughs> great futures and, and, you know, and few, and a few in the league. So, I mean, it's, it definitely is, it definitely is a program that I think is a, is a good model. Cause I think some of the, the Alabamas and the Oregons and the, you know, the perennial Oklahomas and everything, they do a great job of getting players to the league. But if you look at their underneath numbers, they don't have the jobs that our kids have that, you know, they don't have the futures that our kids have. Well, we think that, you know, you, you might, we're not an NFL factory. And even if you are, if you're talking about the Alabamas and the Oklahomas, right. once you get to the league, that doesn't last forever. Right. I mean, the the average retirement is right now is at three years because that's where most people don't make it past three years. And you're going to need that degree somewhere. Yeah. And I just think a lot of our problems could be solved if we're better educated. I'm with you. And Preach. that's the one thing Preach. we have here. We're graduating 93% of our players. Oh, Stanford great. does 95. We're trying to catch up with them. Okay. But we're turning out guys who are going to make differences, I think, in the world. Yeah. Um, any of your former players stand out as people you think are out there making a difference? I don't, I don't want to put you in this well so you have to forget somebody. but. Well, I think they're making a difference financially. Yeah. Because uh, the lowest salary we've heard in the last eight years is $85,000, which – to some people, that's not a lot of money, but you can live good even in San Diego yeah. and that kind of money. At 22 years but old. But we also have them as high as 200000 a year. Yeah. So these guys are very well equipped to go out and take on the business world. And uh, majority of our players are business guys and engineers. We have people working on Star Wars. We have drone engineers. And we're very proud of the people. Not only they've achieved greatness off on the field, but they're doing it off the field too. Yeah, no, that's again. I would I would happily 
produce a commercial for USD because I believe I would never sell anything I don't mm. believe, and I believe in everything that happens here. I uh, and but it's it's also funny because a lot of people haven't heard of it. So you right. get you get the B and C athletes who are like, oh, you know, can you put in a word? Can you give me, a, you know, USD? I'm like, I don't think you understand how good this no. football team is. <laughs> you no, know? you you the B and C student needs to go to San Diego State. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you played you played San Diego State uh, five yeah. five years six yeah. years ago. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, any interest in playing them again? Would you? Well, I thought it was the uh, the best payday and the best road trip we've ever had. <laughs> Because the road trip was five miles, right. <laughs> the payday was huge. We we understand what we're getting into when we right. play them, right? And the outcome is always going to be uphill. Yeah. But I thought it was a great idea, and they drew fifty thousand people that day, which is something they don't normally do. Yep. And I think it's good for the city. It's like, why not? Let's let's play it anyway. Yeah. We know what we're up against. But yep. Let's 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 enjoy uh, the moment. Well, Anthony believes if you were smart enough to start him that game, you guys would have won. You know what? He's ab- <laughs> I don't know if we would have won, but he's absolutely right because we started the wrong guy who threw two interceptions to the same linebacker in the first half. It's like, did you have to f- go do it to the same, same guy? guy right? <laughs> Can you pick a different guy? Spread the wealth. And the luckiest thing happened to us. I don't want this to be misconstrued, but sure. our starter got hurt and Anthony got to play. Yeah. And that was that was the beginning of a really good streak. Yeah. Well, you probably heard a lot of screaming from the audience from this family when he went in. We're, well, he went in on a couple of Wildcat plays in the first half. Uh-huh. And, and it was funny because we were talking. I said, Anthony, that's that's just part of a package. You're not you're not going to be a wide receiver. I'm sorry. I hate to break it to you, but you're not. You know, <laughs> not with his speed. You're right, exactly. <laughs> but he went in, and and of course, me and my wife Shannon and, and his brother and sister were up. Oh my God, he's on the field! You know, fifty thousand people screaming sure, at the stadium, yeah. and it was crazy. Then the second half, when he actually goes in at quarterback, we're like, what? And then the first drive, you go down and get some points. We went. Well, we knew then we who we had. Yeah. We didn't know that until then. We'd never seen him play at, a, at this level. Right. and But we knew at the end of that game, we had our guy. And the other guy quit because we told him, you are no longer going to be a starter. This kid's going to be the starter. Yeah. And that, again, it, it's honesty. Yes. Uh, maybe it's not what you want to hear, but it is what's, re- what's real. Look, I've had coaches hurt my feelings a few times, too. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I certainly don't want to do that to anybody. Sure. But the reality is, I just think, I think in the U.S., what has always been is the best gets to the top. Yes. And when that changes, I, don't, I hope I'm not around to do that. Because why would you... Uh, Put the second best guy out there when you can put the best guy out there. Well, I had an incident in high school when uh, my starting center one game got three consecutive 15-yard holding penalties. He happened to be a senior. I yanked him out of the game and replaced him. He was a white kid. I replaced him with a minority kid who was an underclassman and uh, caught hell for it. But it wasn't uh, never about to change because... This is the right thing to do. You say you caught hell from parents, from the well, community? That from wasn't, uh, no, nobody was too happy about me the, pulling the kid out. I think he was right. a white senior. Right. And 
being a senior don't make any difference if you got you're not playing very well. Yeah. And this kid went in, and he played really well, and I wasn't going to change. If we're going to talk about playing the best player, you cannot fold because somebody doesn't like it. Yeah. And there's always going to be somebody who don't like it. Oh yeah. You know, and my thing's like, well, hey, fire me. I I only <laughs> live up the road. Right. No, I did. I I, I benched a the, the starting senior was a senior. He got three consecutive penalties, pulled his ass out, and put in Allen Douglas, who was a junior, my kid, started, and I never started back after that oh, at the football guy. banquet. And how long ago was that? Oh, shit, it's back in the 70s. Oh, yeah. And at the football banquet, the kid, the white kid made an ass of himself when we, Brooke gave him an award, and he was like, I don't give a shit. <laughs> I don't care. Right. Um, all right, well, that's college. We're going to take one more commercial break here. You got a few more minutes? Can we hang out a bit? Or? I'm not going anywhere. All right, excellent. Uh, so now I want to thank my sponsor, Alante Construction. If you need anything built big, small, windows to the wall from the border to Oceanside in the desert to the ocean, call Rick Villapondu at Alante Construction. He's doing the windows on my house right now. Alante. Whoa. Construction. Whoa. When you need some work on your home and you want a professional job, you can call on Big Rick because that man is so slick and then you will enjoy peace of mind. You can leave all confusion and all disillusion behind. If it's a new kitchen or patio, just call on Daddy-O. Alante, whoa, construction, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, this is going on for Big Rick, Rick and Alante Construction. San Diego County, top to bottom, left to right. He handles all your needs, no job too big or too small. You want it done and done right. All big Rick. And we are back. I'm sitting in Coach Dale Lindsay's office at the beautiful USD campus as they're getting ready to start camp for a new season in a couple of days. And I want to talk a little bit about the NFL, a little bit about your history, about your opinions and stuff, find out your viewpoints. And I'm going to tell you to keep looking at your watch because I'm only going to be willing to talk to you for about six more hours. So as long as soon as you're ready to, you know, as soon as your vocal cords get a little rusty, let me know right. so we can wrap this thing up. But I, like I said, I'm here for the duration. I have a million questions that we could talk forever. Yeah, and again, it's just fascinating the whole thing. Like Jim Brown, I'm gonna talk about Jim Brown. Going back to the, your early career, people don't know today how how good he was and how big and how fast he was. I was just looking at some of the things. Uh, he scored like 17 touchdowns plus four receiving touchdowns and threw a touchdown pass year for his rookie year. And he was bigger and stronger and faster. He's in the lacrosse hall of fame. Yeah. Wilt Chamberlain, you know, from that age, Muhammad Ali, we talked right, about, right. I don't, do you, do you see the iconic athletes today? I mean, I guess we had Jordan, um, Tiger Woods in golf, but do you see a Jim Brown? Do you see a Muhammad Ali? Do you, is there anybody out there in the league or in the world? Well, I don't see an Ali in boxing, and I, I don't really see a Jim Brown. Well, yeah, I take that back. That big dude down at Tennessee that played Alabama. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Derrick Henry, 6'3", 247 pounds, runs a 4540 at the combo with a 37-inch vertical jump. You know, it's funny. Derrick Henry is tremendous and one of the most dominant running backs. But I'm telling you, folks, especially for young, go check out Jim Brown because Jim Brown did things that transcended the game. And off the field, he was a social motivator. So check him out, Jim Brown. And he was in the movie I'm Gonna Get You, Sucker, which is actually one of my favorite low-budget cheesy movies. Jim Brown. He sort of reminds me because he's, I don't I don't think people really realize that Jim Brown was over six foot two. Yeah. Weighed 232 pounds. And even his uh, love handles were muscles. <laughs> and the dude could fly. And this, this rumor that he never blocked, not true. oh, that's not true. Uh, I mean, I saw him floor a Redskin defensive end with just a four. Uh, and I don't think that these other people, and there, there are other great running backs. There were Emmitt Smith and Walter Payton, all of, they're all guys. But if, when you check their records, check their records about the number of games they played and the number of years they played, to break his record. Yeah. No, and, and I agree. After, there's a big drop-off after Peyton uh, <laughs> to Emmett Smith. And Emmett Smith is long He's a great player. Don't I, don't I definitely don't want to take anything away from, from Emmett Smith or anything. But what other what – what are the best players that I don't know about back from that time, 50s, 60s, 70s? Well, I think a guy named Tim Brown who played at – was a running back at the Eagles – Okay. Used to make us all look very bad. Speed, size, what was well, it about? Well, he was a halfback. He was probably 6'1", 200 pounds, but could really fly. Oh, And uh, that's somebody that I used to dread playing against. And uh, that still sticks out in my mind today. There were a couple of guys at Green Bay called Horning and, and Jim Taylor. <laughs> they were pretty good. They were, they were <laughs> good. I mean, <laughs> Paul was a, is a very large guy that ran quite well. Taylor was not as big, and but he was very tough and ferocious on the field, so you tried to stay out of his way. See, when I was when I was young, and I was born in '63, like I said, I came into my heyday, probably '75 in terms of becoming a fan, 12, 13 years old, and through high school in the NFL, and it was always Jim Brown and Jim Taylor mm-hmm. were the like the gold standard of, yeah, of yeah. backs from that time. Um, One day I, I tackled Jim Taylor when he went to finish his career to Saints. Mm-hmm. And kept him from scoring, and he cussed me out. Unbelievable <laughs> for tackling him. I had to apologize for tackling. So that's interesting. How much? Because um, you see a lot of kind of trash talking now. How much stuff went on back in the day? There was no talking. Really? No, there was nobody. Nobody was saying anything because somebody was going to get you if you talk right. too much. <laughs> there was, a, and I encourage, especially younger younger fans, to just look at some of this film from back in the times and. And not just the YouTube mashup highlight reels where Dick Buckus is ripping somebody's head off or or whatever. Look right. at look at some of the longer plays and everything. It's really really a different a different game. Well, it was a bloodbath. Yeah, and there were no friends. That's nobody. Nobody was out shaking hands and slapping each other on the back. And I'll see you after the game, and say hello to your wife and kids. It'd be like, no, we're going to send you in a body in a body <laughs> bag to see your wife and kids. <laughs> It was, it was like nobody was making a lot of money, and everybody yeah. was out to win. Yeah. How were practices back then? Were practices well, we teammates were, with the same spirit within teammates? No. I, I, the, the thing I learned in Cleveland was 
shorter practices are better. There were never any scrimmages. There was no punishment for losing. The thing you did was you went out and tried to get better. They tried to coach you, and, and uh, it's a style I think that I liked to this day. Any players you coached back then or played with who you felt like they wasted some talent, like didn't how like workout habits? Was there anybody who didn't leave it all on the field? Anybody? No, I, I don't. I can't really recall saying somebody didn't leave it on the field. I, I will say that when I was a rookie, we had picture day. And there were two linebackers there, one named Vince Costello and Galen Fist. Both were going into their 12th year. So they're standing around outside on the practice field. And Galen asked Vince, he said, Vince, did you work out this year? In all season? This year? Oh, in the off-season. In all season. And Vince said, yeah, I really worked out. And Galen said, what would you do? He said, I played the hell out of slow-pitch softball. <laughs> and I thought, I just spent six months in the weight room running and I'm not even going to make the team. This guy played slow-pitch softball. <laughs> so there wasn't a, a great deal. I, I had a roommate who played 16 years. He's in the Hall of Fame. And the heaviest thing he ever lifted was a glass of Cuddy Sark Scotch. You know, what position? He was an offensive guard. What? Yeah. And wow. Yeah. He, he didn't work out and was just fantastic. I mean, he, he, he had a broken leg. I tell all these guys here, they talk about stretching. And my roommate would go out, fold his arms, and lean against the goalpost. That's how he stretched. That's how he warmed up. up. <laughs> so there's, no, there's nothing to the stretching part of it. Huh. Now, how did the other players, how did you feel about that? I mean, did you, you say you worked out a whole six months, and this guy comes in and leans on a goalpost and plays. Is well, that just what I is? found out, they had these guys had a lot of talent. Yeah. And... I look back and I'm thinking, I didn't have the talent that those two guys had. And had I not worked out and done that every year in all season, I don't think I'd have had nine years in the league. And the one thing you do learn in the NFL is you better take care of your body because okay. that's what's making you a living. Yeah. Interesting. Now, when you coached, were there players who – didn't make the most of their careers, you think? Or did you? how did you feel about the players? Was it if you could roll out of bed and play, was that all right with you? Or And then even in college, how do you feel about that? I mean, what's the... No, I, I, I've only seen one guy in my whole career of coaching that I just felt like had Hall of Fame talent and had no work ethic. Yeah. And he didn't last very long in the league. A very, very, he was a number one choice, a very high number one choice. Do you want to say his name? No. Let's have Is to say that. Yeah, that's him. And he should be in the Hall of Fame. Could have easily been in the talent, Hall of Fame. Yeah, talent. With talent. And did not materialize with what he had. Mm. I would have, I've known 9,000 guys in the NFL would have loved to have that talent. They would have, if they would have maximized it, it would have been absolutely uh, somebody that you could not handle on Sunday. This thing probably bothers sports fans more than anything else. We all say, if I had that kind of talent, if I had that kind of natural ability. Now, a lot of people are born with talent and don't work hard and still end up okay. But the player he's talking about only played six seasons in the NFL, feuded with coaches and was out of the league after being a very high draft pick. 
And, well, I'll let Robert De Niro tell it. You can be anything you want to be. Remember, the saddest thing in life is wasted talent. You could have all the talent in the world, but if you don't do the right thing, then nothing happens. But when you do right, guess what? Good things happen. You hear me? Now, were you coaching when Randy Moss was playing? Yeah. Because Randy Moss was another one they said doesn't practice, but he was just so gifted. Do you, do you have anything? Did you notice anything about him or know anything about him? Well, he didn't like contact. Oh, really? And all we ever did was try to have contact with him every play. And uh, we always made sure a corner rolled up and hit him because that would take him out of his game. And uh, Because if you let him run, oh. he was going to run past everybody, <laughs> on the, everybody on the field in the stands. But uh, if you were to roll up and hit him every play, a different guy. Mm. And you coached here for the Chargers. I was here twice, yes. Yeah, and you coached Junior Seau, is that right? Well, I always say Junior coached me. Junior coached you. <laughs> what, do you what are your memories about that guy? guy was absolutely fantastic. Uh, talent, unbelievable, work ethic. He had one of the best work ethics you could ever want to be around. Never... He always said he never wanted to embarrass the Seau name. And he didn't as far as I was with him. Mm. And, I mean, what, what you saw on Sunday, he did every day. Oh, really? So he it did wasn't, that enthusiasm. It wasn't that, that he would just go through the motions. He did everything during the week like he's going to do on Sunday. And that was a, that was at a blinding speed and... He had such an impact. I've had fortunate to be with two players, him and Brian Urlacher. Oh. Urlacher's had same type of work ethic, same type of talent, a little different. Junior had a, probably a faster start to stop finish. Mm-hmm. Uh, but him and Brian, if they were running the four day, run the same time. But Junior be out ahead of Brian early. Oh, yeah. But, and probably had a little bit more impact on contact but man oh man to think that uh, you could have two be around those two guys in a career and yeah I mean you just can't believe the things they can do physically that's a that's a pretty impressive list any guys that that didn't make it you kind of rooting for or not I'm obviously anybody who makes a league and that's what my pet peeve is anyone who says baseball, football, basketball, any league. When you get to the professionals, they say, oh, that guy sucks. He's terrible. He's blah, blah, blah. And it's like, are you joking? I mean, if you spend one day in a professional sports uniform, you have to be a certain caliber of athlete. But somebody who didn't make a splash, uh, but but you really liked their work ethic, their 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 skill set, their approach to the game. Any, anybody who maybe I wouldn't know off the top of my head. who Well, I think somebody that I know that I think, did maximize his ability every day was Gary Plummer. Okay. And Gary played for us here. Yeah. Gary also was the linebacker for the 49ers when they beat us in the Super Bowl. Mm. And Gary wasn't uh, the tallest, the strongest, the fastest, but he maximized everything he had, physically and mentally. And I thought it was just a, a joy to be around all the time. Nice. Um Anybody you think super overrated? And again, I'm not trying to get you in trouble, so if you don't want to talk well, about Well, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just trying to think. Uh, I mean, to me, I was 
everybody I played against was better than me, so I can't say that, <laughs> that, they, that they were overrated. I was always looking up to them or, or chasing them somehow. So I just think there's there's always going to be one or two guys that aren't as good as their build. But I will say this. I heard Bill Russell years ago. He was a commentator for NBA on ABC. And, and somebody missed a shot. He said, I know you guys are sitting home in an armchair saying, you can make that shot. He said, no, you can't. <laughs> he said, I'm one of the worst shots in the league, and I'm so much better than you, it's unbelievable. I feel the same way when I hear people say, well, he missed that tackle, I could have made that tackle. He should have made that catch. No, you couldn't. You have no idea how hard it is to be doing things at that level. Yeah, it's funny, Anthony said, we were talking and watching a game, and he's, a quarterback missed a receiver. So Anthony says the same two things he always says is I would not have missed that receiver. <laughs> and and then if somebody else says anything, he goes, You have no idea. And he says he 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 says he's felt the fire. When he went in Fargo, that he was getting beat up by bigger, stronger, faster guys on every play, and he realized that there's a whole world out there of big, strong, fast, mean people. Yeah. And and it's a big difference playing shorts and t shirts. And the the ball draws an angry crowd. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great saying. Is that yours? If that, if you have the ball, there's going to be an angry crowd show up. <laughs> it's not going to be one that you like. That's a great quote. Is that an original? Is that a you? No, I heard I that heard. somewhere. I'm not that smart to think of something <laughs> like that. So, uh, do you think you've grown and changed as a coach? Yeah, I, I think that I've realized that uh, there's some things that sometimes uh, my, my personality needs to be changed, that uh, I'm probably too hardline. Most of it I've learned to, I'm trying to ease up to a point, but I don't want to ease up so much that yeah. that we don't get across the points that we make. I'm very involved in football. It's been something I've done since I was 12 years old. It's always been good to me. I can't imagine why anyone would be in it and not do the very best they can do. I agree with that. Uh, when I see that, I get a little PO'd about it. I shouldn't, but I don't think everybody likes it the same way as I like it. I think there are people who like it better than me. But I just feel like this is this is a, a sport that has given me a way across the tracks. It's been very good as far as it gave me an education. It gave me some financial uh, security. Now, speaking of financial security, is is the pension this? This may be a really stupid question, but the same, like your pension versus today's pension, does oh, the pension shift with? Not close. Oh, really? No, and uh, football is not even close to baseball. I have a neighbor that's a major league player, and he said, uh, I saw one time where I, I saw him put a. Sold a roof on, build a pool, and, and buy two new cars for his children. And I thought, you don't make that kind of money, the job he has. And I said, oh, he got his baseball pension. And then he told me that baseball has so much money that they now have a second pension and a third pension. He knows guys who get three pension checks a month. Wow. Now, football, we were bad. I remember when I was a rookie, if you manage to play five years in the league, that's the minimum retirement, it's now three, you would get $465 a month at age 65. 
<laughs> now, that looked pretty good in 1965 <laughs> yes. because that's what teachers made every month. Right. So I thought, if I didn't think, I didn't figure in all the costs escalating, yeah. I could live on that. So I like broke my neck to get that pension. Well, <laughs> I didn't take it until I was like 62 or 63. So he had grown quite a bit okay. by then. But it's still, football is, is probably... The NFL's pension is probably the worst of everybody. Well, and from and from what I've heard and seen, it's it's for the veterans and the older players. It's it's not terrible. good at all. Yeah, it's terrible. And it, the guys that were way before me are awful the way they were treated. And yeah. um, it would seem like I believe it's the most demanding, physically demanding sport, and and mentally demanding. Shortest the hardest, shelf life. Yeah, too. hardest on your body, and and the the salaries and TV contracts are astronomical. It would seem. All right, here's my solution. Ready? I got it. So they have a salary cap and salary floor. Any team doesn't have to spend to the salary floor, but they have to give whatever they don't spend into a general pension fund that grows. I'd go for that. And that way, that way, the current player, I mean, because some players are just way overpaid because they have to reach a floor. But instead of having to reach a floor, you can pay a player, a current player, a little less if you wanted to, and then but whatever balance goes to the, the fund. And then you take whatever percent, two percent of the TV money straight off the top, and you just send it to old. And all that money would grow faster. It's just so much money, and your well, rest. And this day and age, is, a bad player makes a million dollars. Yes, a, a bad, yeah, a bad player. Yeah, not a good player. Right, a good player is making ten million, twenty million. Yeah, it's, and I have no, I can't fathom that kind of money. And, and uh, I'm very thankful for the pension I get right now. Mm-hmm. And it's it's it's. I've waited, and it grew over the years to a point where it's making my wife and I very comfortable now. But it's it's still not anywhere uh, close to the current player's pension, yeah. or even a guy from ten years ago. Yeah. Now, do you get a, is the pension based on just your playing time, or is there a coaching pension as well? What's the because you coach in the league? For well, players pension players pension is based on how many years you played, how much money came in at that point okay, not to you specifically to the no, league. but to the, okay. the pension p- okay. plan okay there was a coach's pension which you could take a a yearly allowance or you could take a lump sum so uh, i took a lump sum and it's it's grown we haven't had to touch it over the years nice. and the coach's pension was better than the player's pension. really yeah, um, yeah, I mean, was well, just it, because of more years, or is just a basic better structure? I don't know. I, I don't know how that works. I just huh. know that you you got to grind to get the coaching deal because to, to to get I think you had to get fifteen years to qualify. Wow, and that's not easy. No, it's no. not easy. How many times have you been fired? Uh, how many toes and fingers you had? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I found out. Years ago, there are two kinds of coaches that George Allen said that there's those that have been fired and those are going to get fired. <laughs> that sounds about and right. I think he's absolutely right. And the first time you're fired, you, your confidence is shaken and it's sort of upsetting. And then you realize the second time that these people are really stupid to fire you. <laughs> and it, it's, it, but it, it's like football is a production business. Yeah. You produce or you don't play, and you produce as a coach or you get fired. Yeah. And if you don't know that going in, then you should be <laughs> you should be in a different profession. Yeah. 
when you, when you hear these stories about, you, you seem to get along okay. Do you mind me asking how old you are? I'm, I'd probably I'm 78 up, years old. Look at, man, I want to be you when I grow up. Um, but you're getting getting around pretty good. You said your wrist hurts a little bit, but do you, do you have other memories, daily memories of the game? That, that Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I can't remember what I had for dinner last night, but I, I do remember uh, a couple of NFC Championship games. Really? We blew and didn't get to the Super Bowl <laughs> or certain games that have played over the years. I mean, that there are – I mean, I, I realized that we lost the Minnesota Vikings in the 1969 – NFC Championship game, they lost to the Chiefs. We played at Minnesota, the Metrodome, outdoors. The high was three below at noon, and it feels like asphalt. And I remember all those plays. Wow. Uh, but what I had for dinner last night? I don't I know. know. Do you know where your keys are? In no. my pocket. <laughs> I put everything in the same place so I know where it is. Yeah, there you go. That's a good I'm a plan. creature of habits. That's a good plan. Um, all right, I'm going to take one more commercial break, and if you indulge me a few more minutes, just sure. ask a little bit of outside of football, yeah. and then uh, then we'll get back to that. So okay. I want to thank my sponsor, Morning Briefing Coffee. When you want that gourmet coffee, it's roasted locally here in La Mesa. You can pick it up at morningbriefingcoffee.com. Mmm. God damn, Jimmy. This some serious gourmet shit. Me and Vincent would have been satisfied with some freeze-dried tasty's choice, right? <laughs> Nice brings this serious gourmet shit on. What flavor is this? Like an off chewing. What? I don't need you to tell me how good my coffee is, okay? I'm the one who buys it. I know how good it is. Bonnie goes shopping, she buys shit. I buy the morning g- briefing. Because when I drink it, I want to taste it. When you want to taste your coffee, when you want that serious gourmet coffee, the best part of waking up coffee, good to the last drop, tastes as good as it smells, you'll always want a second cup coffee. When you want that, get locally roasted morning briefing coffee right here in La Mesa. He makes custom blends and you always get top quality fresh coffee. Morning briefing coffee, when you want that gourmet All right, we are back for our final segment, the fun personal segment, where we talk about some other stuff that's not football. Outside of football, I know you travel a lot. I've I've been uh, trying to catch up with you, and every time I seem to reach out, you're on the road. Um, You like to travel? What other things do you like besides football? I love going to Europe. Okay. My wife is from Budapest, Hungary. She grew up in communist Hungary. Wow. And it's uh, been out. I went there when it was under the communist rule. It's very, very different. And uh, so she's opened a world to me that I didn't know, being a hillbilly from Kentucky. <laughs> Just getting from Bowling Green to Louisville was a major thing. <laughs> and so we've been traipsing everywhere over to England and Sweden and Norway and places like that. Uh, um, I've really I've enjoyed uh, learning other people's habits, how they live, what they do, how they travel, because you grew up in the States. And my wife reminds me constantly that we are a continent and we're 50 countries all together tied. I never thought of it like that. And having lived everywhere and, you know, lived in Massachusetts and it's so different than growing up in Kentucky or Florida, coming to California and 
I know why there's 40 million people live here because there isn't a better place to live. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And I tell everybody, when you find it, call me. I'm going to go with right. you, but I'm not <laughs> right. leaving San Diego. Right. I'm and with I you. just think that, that I think travel, in my wife's terms, it, it, Living somewhere else makes you another person. I agree. And I and I just think, you know, we can hear about the French or we can hear about the Russians or we can hear about whoever, but or the Japanese. You know, when I went to Japan, I have to tell you, I was, I learned two things. One, as a culture, they're very polite, respectful, a little different, you know, a little mm-hmm. closer, more right. closely guarded. But there's Japanese assholes. There's <laughs> Japanese excellent people. There's Japanese you know wonderful people and and you, and you just learn that wherever you go that that it's not you know everything's different what your what are some of your favorite spots in Europe well i've really enjoyed london because the language is not a big problem right. yeah <laughs> although my wife says that i speak american i don't speak english yeah I'm afraid and we're she's right because she grew that, up yeah. learning the proper english but uh i i like that i i, I we played a game in berlin one year and it was very eye-opening to go by and see some of the buildings that were still standing from World War II. Wow. And uh, the history part of Europe really uh, sort of intrigues me, the fact that most of us are some form of European. What year did you go to Berlin about? Was the wall still up or was 90, it down? It was still up. Oh. It was 90... Four. 94. 94 we played over there wow. I don't uh, the wall was down but Checkpoint Charlie was still, still there. there but it was it was just so interesting and then like going to Tokyo yeah it, it's, it's just a way of life that's so different than what I'm used to and it's like where I grew up in Kentucky leaving going to Cleveland and living all these places it broadens your horizon. And when I look at uh, the people I grew up with that didn't leave there, it's like, oh God, thank you. (laughs) That's funny you should say that. I just went back to my 40 year high school reunion in South Carolina. And there's a lot of people from a lot of places, but there was a few who had just lived in Somerville, South Carolina, their Mm -hmm. whole life. And in that little, well, God bless them, you know, they're happy. I just came back on my 60th. Oh really? Then Kentucky. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have. We have almost as many dead as we have living. Uh, yeah, we had we didn't no, we're not close yet, but we had a, a, a memorandum board or a memorandum. Well, we had a like a bookmark with all the people who passed, passed away. away, and there's about a third that passed away. A third didn't show up, and a third did. Okay, and uh, it's a uh, it's an eye opener, man. But yeah. it, it's just that I see a lot of these kids I grew up with on Facebook, and they've never left. I'm like. You need to expand your mind a little bit. You're missing missing out on the world. So what was high school Dale Lindsay like? Would you play other sports? Well, I was a a pretty good football player. I was a lousy basketball player. I was just a hatchet guy on the basketball team. (laughs) Get to rebound, throw out somebody. Maurice Lucas. And the way we played, whoever took the ball across center court was going to shoot it anyway. (laughs) So did they make sure to get it out of your hands before they got to center court? I, you just didn't pass. You just dribbled up and fired one. But I, I ran track. I loved that. I got tired of baseball. Uh, Curveballs that didn't curve hit me in the head. Oh. And uh, I enjoyed it. I thought I, my four years of high school was a wonderful experience. Any uh, clubs, president? Any? Uh... No, I was sort of just into sports. Girlfriend? One got away? 
Well, no, she got me. Oh. <laughs> I wish she'd got away. <laughs> so yeah, but it was a, it was a, uh, it was a great time growing up. There was no internet. There was no yes. computer. There were no cell phones. Hell, my parents were on a party line. There were four, four homes on one telephone line. Really? Yeah, and you walked everywhere you went. Yeah. And, oh, uh, it, was a, it was a whole, it was a whole different time back then. And, yeah. Uh, the world was a little bit slower, more enjoyable, and uh, I think uh, I look back as probably people would laugh what I think was a good upbringing. People yeah. probably would laugh at it, but it was like, when I really think about how lucky my brother and I were to have two parents. Older, younger brother. Younger brother that loved us, took care of us, would do anything in the world for us. Maybe we didn't have everything, but we had uh, everything from our parents. Yeah, We're that's, really lucky kids. That's, that's everything. You know, I think it's funny because I, I get into these debates, obviously, with my kids and a lot, a lot of kids I coach, younger kids. And, you know, they'll say things like, I can carry every song you've ever heard in your life in my pocket. Or I can talk to my friend in Guam for free on my phone. And mm -hmm. I can do this. And, and my response is always, yeah, but can you climb a tree? Can you, <laughs> you know, can you jump over sure. that fence? Can yeah. you do this stuff? Yeah, I mean, And I'm not... Did you play out at nighttime? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, we the only time we went in the summertime was when our mother would come out and it'd be eight thirty to nine o'clock. It was getting dark. You yeah. had to go in, take a bath, go to bed. And we lived right across the street from high school practice field. Nice. We played in every day. Nice. We made up games and we played hide and seek yep. and we used to hide a purse in the street. Once a car stopped, go back and get it. And we'd pull, the, <laughs> pull, pull it on a string. <laughs> so I mean, we, we were we weren't doing anything crazy, but right. we were all outdoors. We were not inside on a computer yeah. or watching television. Yeah, and you and you know what I value most about that, and I keep trying to instill this in my my kids and everybody else is you talk to people. Oh yeah, you talk. You didn't text them. Right, you right. didn't. Yeah. You know, you talk to people, and, mm -hmm. and my whole. My, any Girl Scout who comes to my house to sell cookies, I'm going to buy them. Anybody selling magazines, subscription, come to my house, knock on my door, and say, oh, Mr. Lawrence, mm -hmm. I'm selling to raise money for it. I'm going to buy it. Sure. I'm with you. Now, I'm not going to your website, though, to buy it. No. <laughs> I'm not, you know, I'm not going to order. I probably couldn't find it anyway. <laughs> right. I'm not going to order online. But if you come if you come and talk to me, right. which is, I think, what those things were designed for. I think they were designed to give kids confidence and talk and communicate. And now the Girl Scout Mafia has turned into a whole, you know, lifestyle of well, I, I think you're absolutely right I mean you, there's face to face communication yeah that's and uh, I don't like the internet I don't like cell phones I think it's harder for you to lie to me face to face than it is <laughs> over the phone because sure. I know I've not told the truth over a phone a few times it was a lot easier <laughs> so I'm just assuming everybody else has the same uh, history yeah yeah and, yeah and it's just like it was a slower time, and it was a really good time in the U.S. Yeah. Um, were there a lot? You mentioned that you had benched a white senior for a black kid. Mm -hmm. um, when you were going to school, was there a lot of racial diversity? Were there other kids? or We went to segregated schools. Really? Our high school was all white. Okay. Uh, the minority, the black people in town had their high school. Okay. We did not compete against each other until we were juniors. How come? 
uh, because there was a well, white Kentucky High School Athletic Association okay. and a black. Okay. We had we had uh, played together in Little League, in, in, excuse me, in Bay Ruth baseball, right. 13, 14, 15. And we were hey, all good. We played together. Yeah, we played together integrate. on the same team. Okay. And uh, we were all good friends. There was no no hard feelings. Nobody, nobody was carrying any grudges or yeah. for any reason thinking that we were better or, or whatever. And right. uh, I know uh, our, our, uh, our black basketball team, High Street, which was from Bowling Green, won the region every year, would go to the state tournament. We'd go to the state tournament. We'd go hang out with those guys. And everybody got along. There was no no uh, animosity with anybody. Everybody was cordial. That's good. That's awesome. Um, so coming into into college, what did you do for fun? Were you a party guy? Were you a workaholic? Were you a nerd? What were you? Well, I was none of those. I was okay. sort of like uh, I enjoyed playing football. I did slip around and party a little bit after a game. I did chase girls. You got one that got away in college? No, one got me. I'm sorry. Again? <laughs> you got got in high school yeah, and college? Yeah, I was, I was easy mark. <laughs> and uh, no, but I had a great time. I, I, I couldn't imagine having four better years than I had in high school. I had four better years in college. And then it got better playing in the NFL. I mean, it's like, hell, I've been on a roll. I've been just yeah. the luckiest guy going around. That's Life's awesome. been really good. That's all. That's how I feel. I Honestly, I feel that way, too. Um, don't quite have the NFL pension coming, but other than that. I tell all these guys here that I have a picture of me in the Little League. I'm the only one holding a trophy. I told him, I said, you know why? And he said, no. I said, because I was the best player. Nice. But there were, no, there were no participation trophies. Yeah. Only the best got got rewarded. And I know we, we lost a, a Little League game to Owensburg, Kentucky, who wound up in the Little League World Series. And we had a rich kid that muffed the ball playing second base. And we never forgave him for that. Wow. We didn't care maybe, how much. Maybe you should call him and say. <laughs> well, he's passed away. Oh, but okay. I'm going to tell you what. We, when we would get together, we would like dog cuss this guy right. unbelievable because he cost us the a trip. World yeah, Series. Yeah, sure. That little yeah, rat bastard. Yeah. Um, and he was a rich kid, which made it worse. Oh. You know. Unbelievably. It, how long have you been married? I've been married to my current wife. We have lived together for 40 years. Oh, wow. We're about to get it right. Okay, good luck. <laughs> I hope so. Because <laughs> I lived with my wife for 10 years before we got married. So we were probably getting close to you guys. Well, I think that's what we did, too. We lived together for four years, then we got married. But from start to finish, we've been together for 40 years. years. And I, I went to I went to Canada. I was a high school coach. And Forrest Gregg, who I'd played against and coached with, was the head coach of the Toronto Argonauts. Man, I... I just hope people are paying attention because these names are Rushmore-type names. I mean, Well, Forrest Gregg is. He's yeah, a Hall yeah. of Famer. Well, Paul Hornig and Jim Brown. Yeah. And I listed called, a bunch of other ones. I called him about a job. They had a thing called a guest coach. His question to me was, how much money do you want? I said, I don't want anything. I just want the experience. And he said, yeah, come on. So I went to my principal and told him I was going to leave. And there was like two weeks worth of school. So 
I left to go to the Toronto Argonauts to go to training camp. Went for two weeks, stayed four years. And my whole life turned around. And then while I was there, I met my wife, who took me in off the streets, <laughs> gave me a place to stay, <laughs> and, and gave me a, a probably as good education as I can get about other things other than books. Right. And it, it's just, I mean, I've been one lucky guy. It sounds like it. Yeah. Sounds like it. I've sounds been like you one got no lucky complaints. Guy. Yeah. And that, it's all called, I hate to tell you, but it's downhill after this podcast. This is the pinnacle. And, uh, <laughs> well, I've had worse. <laughs> uh, okay. The last question I have, it's a traditional question that you have committed a capital crime and you're uh, going to the electric chair. You get to watch one movie. Have one meal and listen to some music. What's your choices? Let me see what I can have. One, one, one meal. Any meal you want. I would go to Cracker Barrel, and I would have uh, beans, potatoes, cornbread, and chicken fried steak with gravy. All right. With uh, iced tea, because that's what. Other than chicken fried steak, that's what we had most every day. I was growing up was beans, potatoes, and cornbread. And to me, that's as good a food as you can ever get. Nice. Any dessert? Uh, well, my mother, who never ate sweets, was a, a really good cake and pie person. So I think I would take like chocolate cake or cherry pie. Okay. I'm pretty easy. All right. No, that sounds. What's the other thing sounds I Sounds doable. You get a movie. A, a movie. Oh God, what would I watch? <laughs> um, and it can't be game film. It has no, to. I was going. I'm trying to think of this movie I've watched. With it's got uh, De Niro, Pacino, and they're up in L.A. Heat. Heat. I bet I watched that thing seven, eight times. I watch it every time it comes on. It's a really good movie. It is a good movie. I, I think Heat would be something I would do. That's one of my. That's my brother's. One of my brothers. Yeah, top, I think top, that, top five. It's always good. I love it when Al Pacino goes home and finds his wife having an affair, and he said. You can sleep with my wife, but you can't watch my television. Right, right. He busts the television up. I'm like, yeah, that's that's that's, that's the right, that's, that's that's way it. to do this. I'm very angry, Ralph. You know, you can ball my wife if she wants you to. You can lounge around here on her sofa in her ex-husband's dead tech postmodernistic bullshit house if you want to, but you do not get to watch. And uh, what's the third thing? Uh, music. You're going to put some headphones on. I'm going to listen to the Rolling Stones because I have seen them live and in person at the Cotton Bowl in Dallas. Oh. I was at SMU. We played Notre Dame that afternoon, got crushed, and flew home to Dallas. And our two equipment guys have been with. Uh, one of the players from Missouri, who at that time was head of Budweiser Advertising, got us tickets. We were not more than five or ten yards from the stage. Really? And it was absolutely awesome. There was about 70,000 people there. And about 69 plus oh, were behind you. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I fabulous seats were on the, the field, probably 20 rows from the stage. Wow. And the Stones, I would say this, if you ever get a chance, Who's listening? Yeah. Go see them because they're worth the money. Still? Oh, yeah. I, I think, I, I, think Mick Jagger. Uh, the well, Richards hasn't aged at all. You know, I, <laughs> if there's an uglier white man on earth than Keith Richards, somebody tell me who it is. 
Those guys, I've seen pictures of those guys when they're in their 30s and 40s, they yeah. look pretty good. Now, they're the same age I am, yes, in their 70s. Are. But they look 170. Especially Keith Richards. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, maybe he should win the face with the most wrinkles in it. Yes. You know? Yeah. I, I know smoking ages you, those guys smoke, but a it's lot. like. And drugs. Holy age hell, and drugs. Did yeah. A lot of drugs. Yeah, I've heard they do drugs. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> they, I think they invented doing drugs. Yes, they were they were first on the banner. Do you have a favorite Stone song or two? What you, a couple of go-to songs you like? Uh, not really. Okay. I just, I just I, I like their music. Right. I mean, I still listen to the music that I sort of grew up with. I right. still like Little Richard and okay. Fats Domino. Okay. Chuck Berry is one of my favorites. Chuck Berry kissed my wife's hand once. Before really? she was my wife. Yeah, he was, he was, funny story, he's lost in Portland, Oregon, where, he, right. we, where we met. And her and her friend, the limo stopped, and this was before cell phones and GPS right. and everything. And the driver rolled down the window and said, hey, do you know how to get to wherever they were going? And, and my wife said, sure. And then, you know, she's 22, 23 years old, whatever. She's trying to look in the, you know, who's mm -hmm. in the limo, who's in the limo. Window rolls down. It's little Richard. And he says, thank you, dear. Kisses her hand and... So I have to live up to that legacy every day. And yeah, you know those guys. They they uh, they're sort of the inventors of rock and roll, particularly oh, particularly Chuck Berry. Yeah, oh, Chuck Berry. I said Little and, Richard. I meant Chuck Berry. And Chuck Berry. Uh, don't think they were financially rewarding. Weren't close no, like no. the modern day guys are. But no. but that's the music I grew up with. I like it. I've adapted over the years. But I, the music I hear today is not what I would listen to. Not about to. Uh, I'm like this. My dad didn't like my music. Right, right. And I didn't like his. <laughs> right. So my thing is like, listen to whoever you, whatever yes. turns you on is fine yeah. with me. Well, it's but, funny. I always say uh, Adam and Eve told Cain and Abel their music was terrible. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, that, that's probably true. But I, I think you, you, you know, music is like everything else. You like what you like. Yep. And that doesn't mean I have to like it. Right. But... Uh, at least allow the other person to write. I mean, my wife listens to classical music. Yeah. She has opened my eyes to the opera. We go to the San Diego Opera all the nice. time. Okay. I grew up with opera too, but it was called the Grand Ole Opry. The Gra <laughs> and it, opera was a, it was in Nashville, yeah. Tennessee. Yeah, that's a little different. It's a little different, yeah. yeah. But sometimes hard to understand, you know, uh, especially if you have A little lived. different, yeah, it's a little different. <laughs> they both use violins, although they're called a fiddle oh, in yes, the South. fiddles. My mom and dad got me a radio when I was about 10. And I was dialing around, and I could pick up WLAC out of Nashville. Yeah. So I, I'm listening to it at nighttime, and I'm hearing Little Richard, Fats Domino, Howling Wolf. They were all black artists. I didn't know that. Yeah. I'm just listening yeah. to the radio. radio. Yeah. I'm liking the music. Yeah. So I switched from country music into this right. genre, which became rock and roll. Right. And that's just what I like. And I'm, I don't care, you know, like I say, my dad didn't like my music. I don't like my children's music. They don't <laughs> like mine. Right. Music is what you like. I go home today, I'll be listening to Tom Petty, Bruce Springsteen. Those are people I've adopted right. along the ways, learned to like their music I don't like all their songs but yeah. it's like I saw Bob Seger one night in Toronto and I really liked Bob Seger, I like I, Bob Seger the guy was so cool he came out with a with a, a tank top a pair of shorts 
in flip flops and did a concert. He was super cool. Wow, he was like, that is. Cool. And this the 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 concert was great. I don't know if you knew who Bill Orangeberger is, but Bill was one yeah, of our coaches at Kentucky. And Bill was head coach at LSU and offered me a job like a dummy. I turned him down. <laughs> and Bill said, recruiting, you should be like a candy salesman. And I said, what, what does that mean? He said, well, candy salesmen start in the home and work out. So I've, I've seen my children bring candy home from school and my dad would buy the whole right. whole allotment. <laughs> right. And then they would work out and sell more. And so our, our theory here is we're candy salesmen. We start in San Diego. This is the number one spot we're going to recruit, and we expand outwardly. And now we, we uh, try to work as far north as Seattle. Oh, wow. Seattle has been good to us. But we really worked the Bay Area down here hard. Yeah, Colorado has been good to us. Arizona has been very good to us. And absolutely, uh, Chicago. Cooney. And Chicago. Well, the thing about Chicago is Chicago has excellent academics in the suburbs. And they have uh, a sizable uh, group of people with money that can afford to come here. There's a There's a... A pretty good allotment of Chicago kids that go to USD. Yeah, no, I remember when Anthony was here. I met and talked to several of the kids who were from Chicago. And, yeah, and there's a little pipeline going. I think it's a great idea. I mean, you got. I think you have to go where the population is. Yeah. Well, we have 40 million people here. Yeah. And when you talk about a place like Texas, they have a good size of people. Yeah. Chicago itself is what three, four, five million at least. Yeah. And just having lived there and know what the footballs are like. Uh, and the academics, you can you can be successful there. Uh, we have a one of our new coaches is is from Iowa. Iowa wouldn't be very no. good without Chicago. No. So, but I, I just feel like we need and we try to comb California the best we can. What has happened? I don't say it hurt us. But what has happened? The rest of our conference now recruits California. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I appreciate you taking up more than uh, enough of your time, and you have been very gracious and candid. I appreciate it. So we're going to wrap here. Again, my name is Tony Lawrence. This is Tony on the Mic. You can find me at TonyOnTheMic.com. You can find me at Tony on the Mic on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat. Yeah, I don't even know if I'm on Snapchat, but my sister handles all that. But check it out and make sure you download and listen to this episode. I have been joined today by legendary coach. Legendary? You going to go for that? You didn't even uh, flinch. I, I, I think that's overrating. Is that too much? Okay. <laughs> we're talking that's, about overrating. That's, that's giving me way too much credit. <laughs> well, we're going to say uh, uh, successful coach, Dale Lindsay, who is uh, coaching. Looking forward to this, another season starting Thursday as they break camp, and we look forward to coming to the USD games again. Say goodnight to the folks. Dale, any words of wisdom you want to impart upon folks? No, just enjoy. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you very much. Tony in the Mesa, the Mesa, outro, 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 outro. And that's going to do it for another episode of Tony on the Mic. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting. I want to thank my guests. I want to thank my sponsors. And you can find more info and episodes at TonyOnTheMic.com. Tony on the Mic on Twitter, on TikTok, on Facebook, on Instagram, on YouTube. All these platforms are slowly becoming populated with quality entertainment products. So check it out. And tell your friends and click and like and subscribe and all that stuff. 